0: If you have a way to see God's Word this morning, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, This is uh, definitely not the first time I've spoken on the text we're going to be looking at, but uh, hopefully this morning we'll have uh, uh, some more uh, ideas about what Paul is trying to attempt to tell us a little bit uh, uh, about what's to come for those of us who know Jesus. Uh, we continue today the series, "The Better Place," and it's basically been a study on heaven and uh, what awaits those who are believers in Christ. Now, what's interesting is this week—that's all I've been thinking about—has been heaven because we uh, we had two of our most faithful members that we've had in our church for uh, many years, Carl Frizzi and David Blanton, pass away, and we had the privilege to minister to their families uh, in their passing. Uh, But again, when you're at a point when you're talking about believers, uh, I've been talking about heaven all week, so nothing's new today at all. So when it does come to heaven or the afterlife, Jesus talked much with his disciples about the afterlife. And so look there at the introduction, the scriptures indicate that everyone who has ever lived will be resurrected and will live for eternity. The question is, either it will be in heaven or in hell. It'll either be a place of celebration or a place of condemnation. And that's what we find in Scripture. There's there's no middle ground. It's one or the other. And Jesus was very clear when he made the distinction between the two. You see, according to what we've already learned so far in our study, when we die, we are present with the Lord. Now, many people, along with myself, believe that we, once we leave this world, at this time, we will go to the place called the present heaven, which is really the intermediate heaven, and we discussed much about that last week. But our soul and spirit will be with the Lord there, and then we wait for a bodily bodily resurrection. Now, after this resurrection, it appears from Scripture That we are judged for our service. We're judged for our service. Uh, We who are believers, followers of Jesus, there's a judgment that comes to us. But it's about service. It's not about whether we go to heaven or hell. If we show up at this judgment, the bema seat of Christ, we are, that's heaven is our home, but we will be judged for our service. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Then attend what's called the marriage Feast or supper of the Lamb. That's mentioned in Revelation chapter 19. And so we see that as believers, we still got a ways to go once we hit the afterlife. There are several things that await us. There's this judgment, there's the marriage feast of the, or the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then, according to Scripture, we come back with Jesus at the Battle of Armageddon. Again, that's in Revelation chapter 19. And once we come back with him in the Battle of Armageddon, we will then rule and reign with him for a thousand years. That's found in Revelation chapter 20. Now, today what I want to talk about is this whole idea of the afterlife, and I want to talk about the people, the people of heaven. I want to talk about the heavenly bodies, the relationships that we'll have in heaven. But first of all, let's turn our attention to the body itself. How will bodies be different after the resurrection? Now, we have clues all through Scripture. We we have the clues about what it is. From the time that Jesus was resurrected, he spent 40 days here on the earth. I don't know if you've read the gospel accounts, but what you'll see is after his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus uh, basically uh, came to earth for 40 more days. And it appears that we can find clues about this glorified body, which we we will get ourselves, from how he interacts. Okay, but we also find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 more details about this body that will soon be ours. So look at the footnote. A principle is given as it relates to the transition of the body from its present reality to its future reality. Now, let me just say this. If, if you've lived any length of time, you will welcome the idea that our bodies will go through a transformation, Okay. You're glad for that, right? But that's what the Bible teaches us, and it's very clear. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 35. But someone will say, there's an, anticip, an anticipatory question here. How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Verse 36, foolish one. He's talking about those who have no basic understanding. Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive until it dies. What he's talking about here is that transition from life to death to life. And, and he's very clear on this as he, as he states this. He, he basically says you don't have a basic understanding if you don't know that that's going to happen. We will go from life, where we currently are right now, to death to some t- sort of life after. Okay? Then he goes on. He says in verse 37, and what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. So he's basically trying to make an example here that you take something, you put it in the ground, and from that, from that supposed death arises life. But verse 38, but God gives, gives it a body as he pleases, and to, te- and to each seed his own body. So basically, God here, this this whole idea that Paul is explaining God's natural process of going from an earthly body to a heavenly body, all right? So what are the differences? What do we see? First of all, there's going to be a different dimension. When it comes to these bodies that we have now compared to those in the future, there's a different dimension. Look at verse 39. All flesh is not the same flesh, But there's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. Verse 40. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. Now, when he talks about the terrestrial, he's talking about the earthly, but then he's talking about the heavenly. So, Paul, in these verses, is making a comparison between earthly bodies, that's creatures on earth, and heavenly bodies, that's the sun, moon, and stars, to the change our bodies will make when we go from an earthly body to a heavenly body. He's talking about it's going to be a whole different dimension. Now, how do we know this? Because of what he says in the first part of verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. He's making a comparison. So what are the two things that he's talking about? Well, first of all, he's talking about the present, which is a terrestrial body, and that's a natural body. Right now we're living in a natural realm. Okay, But then there's a future body, it's a celestial body, and it's in a spiritual realm. Okay, So you've got the natural realm and the spiritual realm. Now, how do you make a distinction between the two? Now, a terrestrial body, a natural body, has a lot of limitations placed on it. How many of you recognize that? That's the body you have right now. A lot of limitations placed on that body. Matter of fact, there's some things that are working against that body. How many of you are aware of that? Okay. There are things working against it. But there's a lot of limitations to this body. Okay. For us to to, to go to Europe, we have to get on a plane. How many of you would like and prefer a different way of doing that? Just fly right on over, right? Now, some of you are scared of flying on a plane. I can't imagine what it must be like for you if you just kind of fly yourself over there. But anyway, here's the point. We have some clues about what Paul's talking about when we look at Jesus' resurrected body during those 40 days. So I want to show you this on the screen. In John chapter uh, uh, 6, it says—I'm uh, uh, sorry, this is before the 40 days. This is actually his, what he was able to do in his natural body. In John chapter 6, it says, Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea— got into the boat and went over the sea toward Capernaum. Now, keep in mind that Jesus is the one who told them to get in the boat in the first place to go over. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because of a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the water. Now, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't you agree? Okay? So, he's walking on the water. So, evidently, Jesus' natural body, even though he is a man, he's also God. He has certain things that are not limited like we are. Okay? And drawing near the boat, they were afraid. Now, how many of you, you're three, four miles offshore. All of a sudden, you see someone walking on the water. Other other gospels tell us they thought it was a ghost. This is a big-time event, believe me. Okay? So, Jesus said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So, we got Jesus walking on the water, and then there's a second miracle that when he got in the boat, they no longer rowed. They just appeared where they were trying to go. Now, how many of you would say, Pretty cool. I like it. Okay, so Jesus obviously has this. So what did Jesus do? He annihilated, really when you think about it, both time and distance. It appears that our resurrected bodies, if this is a clue of what we're going to get, will not have the limitations our bodies have now. We'll go from a fleshly body to a glorified body. Now, it's interesting that when Paul talks about this celestial body, he carries us to a different dimension where all the concepts of time and distance appear to be changed. So in verse 41, Paul carries us there, a dimension that is far greater than we can comprehend, a dimension outside of what is natural, okay? So our minds can probably go to a million different places when it comes to that. We're going to go from a natural body to a celestial body, a spiritual body, a body that is durable, okay? That's a good thing. But it's all going to be in a whole different dimension. Now, some of you are sitting here and saying, okay, tell us all about that. I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. The only thing we can find are, are suggestions and clues in Scripture, and we'll point those out as we go. Now, how will our bodies be different? There's going to be a different destiny, and this is key. In verse 42, it says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. So the present, what are we looking at in the present? We're looking at a body that's destined for the grave. We're looking at a body that dies, okay? The future is a body destined for glory, for glory. And we'll talk more about this in just a moment. But really what's implied here? is that when it comes to the life that comes after this life, we've got to have a better body, right? That's really the whole thing. So we have to be suited up for what is to come. And that seems to be the implication that Paul has all through this chapter. So Paul tells us in Philippians, if you remember the story, we referred to it a couple weeks ago, that he's in prison, possibly facing death. If set free, he had plans to go to Spain to evangelize and start more churches. But then he tells the Philippian church that he'd just soon go ahead and be with the Lord. He'd just soon leave the present reality, the natural body, for what is to come. Now, Paul had a great advantage on us when he said this. According to Scripture and what we find, Paul had already experienced what is to come. He'd already experienced. He says he'd been called to the third heaven. And, and so basically, Paul has already caught a glimpse of what awaits us. And, and he basically, and what we understand from Scripture, he says it's untranslatable. You cannot speak into words what awaits us, okay? And so Paul has his encounter there, and he writes this in Philippians. He says, for I am hard-pressed, having a desire to depart, to go on and be with the Lord, to go to a future reality, and be with Christ, which is far better. So basically, after catching a glimpse of what is to come, that future reality of where everything is going to be right, he basically said I had a desire. That word desire means to lust or long for. So basically, Paul longed for the world to come. He longed for a change of destiny in which his body would be traded for that which is destined for the grave and death and one that's destined for heaven itself. Paul had a longing, a longing to go there. Next, how will bodies be different? Different dress, a different dress. Um, (laughs) I remember uh, a, a, a wife was sitting there looking at her husband, and they had uh, grown old together. I think uh, I read that they were like in you know, 60 years of marriage, and, and the wife looked over and told her husband, said, you need to pull up your socks. And he basically said, I have no socks that are on. And come to find out that was just his skin hanging there. But anyway, <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is we see the wear and tear. Uh, I've, I've been here at this church for 34 years. I, I came here as a 24-year-old man. Uh, you've seen this person age, but guess what? I've had the privilege to see many of you age too, and it ain't pretty. I'm telling no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we're all there. We're all there. And the fact is, we long for that different dress. Look at what he talks about in verse 43. It is sown in dishonor, but it's going to be raised in glory. So the present, what's the present? It's a dress of dishonor. What's the future? It's a dress of honor. The best illustration, and I've given this many times, but here's what I appreciate about God. A lot of times you'll have spiritual implications seen out there in the natural world. And there's none greater to explain what we're going to go through than the caterpillar to the butterfly. You ever seen that one? We've all, we all know what takes place. I want you to think about it in a spiritual context. There's not a better illustration anywhere. Have you ever noticed how a caterpillar gets around? We've talked about this. I mean, think about humiliating it is, the way that he gets around. It's a painful way of getting around. It's a, it's a humiliating way of getting around. You know, you know how he has to hunch up and then go out? You know, you, just, you know, look at that. I mean, he's there on the, in the dirt. So to speak. So, Can you imagine what that caterpillar must see when he sees a butterfly? The, the caterpillar must say, oh, I wish I could fly. If only I had wings. I would fly from flower to flower, from tree to tree. But I'm just a wretched old grub. How many feel feel like a wretched old grub sometimes? Just trying to get ahead. Looking around, seeing everybody else seems to have it better. But anyway. Then one day something starts to happen. He realizes his life as a caterpillar is about to come to an end. So he builds a little coffin, crawls inside, and dies to the only life he's ever known. There, the caterpillar lies on the underside of a twig in his coffin when something starts to happen. He is being changed, then he emerges out of his coffin. He goes from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Note, He's the same creature that comes out that goes in. But he's been changed, radically changed, transformed. He spreads his wings and soars through the sky. The caterpillar was sown in dishonor, but raised in honor. I believe this is a picture, a beautiful picture of what's going to happen to us. One day we will soar. Now, I, I hope there's no cars going by. I've seen many butterflies. <laughs> Never mind, I'll shut up. But anyway, <laughs> but what I'm trying to say, we're talking about a radical difference. It's a different dimension. But there's one thing I want you to keep in mind. We're talking about something that's being transformed, not something that's being recreated. I want you to think about that. And we're going to talk about more about this in just a moment. But God went to a lot of trouble to make you as you are right? We all have different fingerprints. We're all distinct. There's never been anyone like us before, nor will there be in the future. There's certain personalities, special giftings, special tools that he's given you, special talents. All that goes into making who you are. And, and the point is, there's, we're not talking about something that's brand new. We're talking about something that's being transformed. I want you to think about that as we move forward. So, there's also a different disposition. Look at verse 43, the second part. It is sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. The the present is a body of weakness. Now, do I need to explain that, or do you already know what I'm talking about? It's a body of weakness. That's our current reality. The future is a body of power. Body of power. Now, again, where can we find a clue? Well, Jesus and three of his disciples were in the garden. Just before his arrest. Do you remember the story? And Jesus basically says, Peter, James, and John, they're with him. He basically says, Hey, you three stay here. You pray. You, you, you continue to pray. And I'm going to go over here. I'm going to talk to my father, my heavenly father. And, and he goes on out. And he comes back. And what does he find? Does he find them praying? No, they're asleep. He says, Can you not tarry? Can you not pray for just a little while? <laughs> so he goes away. He comes back second time. They're asleep, right? How many of you can identify more with the disciples at this point? Third time he comes back, and here's what we find. Jesus even says this. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. Weak. We know that, right? We live that reality. That's a part of who we are. This is a picture of a body of weakness. Now, here's an example of a body of power. Do you remember the story when Jesus had just been raised from the dead? After three days in the nether regions, he comes back by the tomb to pick up his body. That body was now a part of him. Okay. So basically, what do we have? I I think we've got a glorified body going on here. But it still bears the marks of the, the, the past body, right? the nail-scarred hands, all that, okay? So all those things that are back there, but he's in a glorified body. So the body was now a part of him, the prince of the nails and all that. He makes his way to the room where the disciples are gathered. John tells us that the disciples were shut up in a room, and they were really, the Bible describes them as being terrified. Jesus has already been killed. They have been identified as his disciples, so logic would tell, tell them what? They're possibly next. All right? So they're locked up in this room all together. All right? So Jesus comes, he's there. Jesus is standing outside the door, and the Bible makes it clear that that's the case. And the Bible goes on to say that suddenly he appeared before them. Now, what's the implication? He didn't knock on the door, oh, how's it going, John, and walk through. He just appeared. He just appeared. Now, how many of you think that would be pretty cool to just appear? You, you think that would be pretty cool? Your you kids out getting into trouble, and all of a sudden you just appear. That would be pretty cool, you know? Uh, but, but the thing I want you to see is there's definitely a difference between what, what, what we're seeing here. Luke tells us a little bit later that he actually ate with the disciples. He actually made the meal for them. How many of you think that's pretty cool? The new body, we get to eat. We get to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but my eating habits have changed as I've gotten older. How many of you remember that you could eat about anything you wanted to? And and everything would continue to work? How many of you know what I'm talking about? I I don't know about you, but I was blessed uh, with a body that had the disposition of skinny until I was 42, and I continued to eat like I was skinny. And guess what happened? The body didn't receive it that way anymore, and I ballooned up. How how many of you that something similar like that happened? You know, some of you are like, "Well, I ballooned up when I was born." Yeah, I, I know, I know that 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 happens too. But but here's what I noticed. I used to make fun of old people who would eat at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Now I firmly get it. I get it. I mean, these bodies are just struggling at times. I mean, even when it comes to the simple processes. But can you imagine the new body? The new body. I was so relieved when I saw that Jesus ate in it. And I thought, man, this would be pretty cool. All right. And then the Bible says in the Gospel of John, That after this meeting, he just disappeared. Disappeared. Now, it appears that we'll have a body like the body of Jesus, a body of weakness that will be trade for a a body of power. Paul gives us a clear picture of this. He he literally describes a body with no limitations or pain. In Philippians chapter 3, here's what he says. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven. He's basically saying what Paul's saying is this is not it. This is not it. In other places, he says, basically, we're sojourners. That means we're just passing through. How many of you get glad that? We're just passing through. This isn't it yet, okay? So that's what he's saying when he says our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus. We're ready for him to come back. Why would we want him to come back? Who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things. It's basically, we're, we're, we're living, we're, we're existing in this world, we're passing through, but he has something awaiting us that's so much more miraculous than anything we could ever imagine. Paul said it several times. What, where we're headed, you can't even put words to it. But what's really amazing is this body, is going to go through such a transformation that, that it, it, it'll be phenomenal, phenomenal. He's going to transform. Now, again, it, it's not like, I think sometimes when we think about this process, we think all of a sudden there's a new us. No, there's a transformation. You're going to go through a transformation. You, you're still you. It's just without the limitations. In just a minute, we're going to say, you're going to still be you with all, all the sin and the, 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 the things in which sin has brought into your life. Your insecurities, all these things, these, these things that your fears and worries and all that, they're going to go away. It's a whole new existence So he's basically, he's talking about a body that is mortal, corrupt, diseased, and weak will be transformed into a body that's immortal, incorrupt, disease-free, and strong, no longer capable of suffering, pain, and even death. Next, how will our bodies be different, a different dynamic? Look at verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body, and there's a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus. We, we know that from the book of Romans. And the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first Adam. What happened to the first Adam? The first Adam was there. He was created for, for, for the purposes of eternity, but what entered the picture? Sin entered the picture, right? So then, at that moment, he began, his existence became one that was destined for death. You remember the story? Destined for death. Now, what's amazing about that story is Jesus comes along, he's considered the second Adam. He will come, he'll live a perfect life, and he'll be the one to give the life giving parts of what was supposed to be for us in the first place. And so, therefore, a new, whole, different reality. And then he says in verse 46, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and then after the spiritual. So basically it's this, look on your outline. Present, a body that's sown, that's natural. When it's sown, it's like a seed being sown. What do we know has to happen to the seed? It has to die for life to come forth, which leads us to the future. A body that's raised that is spiritual. So, we now have a natural body, but one day we'll have a spiritual body. So, this one's going there. It's just really a a matter of a different reality, a different dimension, a different dynamic. Heaven, listen to this, will no longer be a place where temptation will abound. It is also inhabited with people who have bodies that are no longer prey to the ravages of sin. Now, now, what are the ravages of sin? Some of you are the result of the ravages of sin. Let, let's just face it. Some of it is the sin that you brought upon yourself. And we all have that. We all have a story of that. And for some of us, we're still dealing with the consequences. But for some of us, the ravages of sin were placed there maybe, maybe in a dysfunctional family. Maybe, maybe you didn't have a family at all. And all the things that created this insecurity in you and all these things that started messing with you, and you're still living with those things, still trying to make the, figure it out, trying to make the pieces come together. You're still asking God for healing when it comes to the residual effects of that sin. Guess what? All that will be removed. No more insecurity. What would life be like without insecurity? Some of you are sitting there, I'm not insecure. If you're not insecure, if you think you're not, you're blind. Dysfunction creates insecurity. And guess what? You may think your family was perfect. It wasn't. Every family that's ever existed since the Garden of Eden has had its form of dysfunction. Dysfunction. Some dysfunction a lot more than others, but it's dysfunction. And and, and we depend upon God to work in and through that. But there's going to come a day, it's going to be a whole different dynamic. None of that will be in play. Can you imagine living without fear, worry, insecurities? Can you imagine even having that? Some people say, well, you know, if you allow the Spirit of God to work in such a way, he'll produce miracles, he'll do this, he'll create this, he'll create that. And guess what? That's exactly right. But can you imagine when the enemy attempts to bring it back and tear you down and you feel like you've had victory in that area, but he still has a way of reminding you of stuff, doesn't he? There's going to come a day which all that's going to be removed. All that's going to be removed. Wow. A different dynamic. Next a different durability. The Bible says in verse 47, the first man was of the earth. Uh, my translation says, made of dust. some of yours basically says they were earthly. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And the man of dust, this is what we're currently are, we're earthly, people of dust. so also are those who are made of dust. That's us. speaking of us. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Now, he goes on, verse 49. And as we have born the, the image of the man of dust, you get that, right? Sin followed. When Adam and Eve fell, sin followed. We were born in sin. We sinned to make note of the fact we were born in sin. Okay. And it creates us as mere dust or earthly. We're bound to what's wrong, okay? And basically, he's saying that is our existence. Yet we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Right now, walking in the earthly, we not only, listen, we not only bear the image of the man of dust, the sinful side, but we can also bear the image of Christ himself, Being followers of Jesus. Did you know that? We we still have that dual complexity of who we are. But one day, this sub-level of who we are will be removed. And we will be fully identifiable in the heavenly. The heavenly. And then it says this. Now this I say, verse 50, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's not possible for it to. Nor does corruption or perishable inherit incorruption or imperishable. Let's get down to verse 53. For this corruptible, this perishable, must put on incorruption, imperishable. And this mortal must put on immortality. So basically, here's what he's telling us. We have to suit up for eternity. We can't continue to exist this way. It's destined for death. How many of you are just so encouraged by being here today? But the hope and the dream and the the promise that's been given to us is all that can be traded for something far greater. So what are we left with? Look on your outline. Present, a body that's temporal versus the future, a body that's eternal. Did you know one of the greatest acts of mercy that God ever bestowed upon man was when he ran Adam and Eve out of the garden did you know that that's one of God's greatest acts of mercy what was in the garden the tree of life and as long as they ate of that tree they would live forever can you imagine living forever in this in this his greatest act was the fact he threw them out away from it. But then he provided something greater in the form of redemption, which is found in Jesus. We don't, you don't want to live forever in this body. You, if you're in your 20s, you think you do. You don't. You don't. And, and that's what I'm trying to say here. First John 3, 3 says this, Beloved, Now, we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And the reason it says we shall see him as he is is because when we see him as he is, we'll become even more like him. We will be in that eternal existed state, this whole new dynamic. Benjamin Franklin he had a way with words, if you've ever read anything he wrote. But his epitaph says this, and I love this. It says, the body of Franklin printer, like a cover of an old book, its contents tore out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here food for worms. But the work will not be lost, for it will appear once more in a new and more elegant edition, revised and corrected by the author. That's beautifully written. That is what we read in Scripture. So, next, what will relationships be like in heaven? How many of you have ever wondered that? What were relationships? Well, first of all, will we know God more intimately? The answer is, of course, yes. In Revelation 22, 4, it says this. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There's a, a solid identification. There's an intimacy being face-to-face. In the message, uh, uh, paraphrase, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says this. We don't yet see things clearly. We are squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears, the sun shines bright, Over the last three days, it's beautifully written, right? We will see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees, knowing him directly and intimately just as he knows us. You talking about an intimate relationship? Think about having an intimate relationship with your creator in one that's not faith but face-to-face. Next, will we be the same? Well, the answer is yes and no. Yes and no. No, because we will not be under the condition and curse of sin. As I said, no insecurities, no more dysfunction. And yes, what makes you, you is going to continue. I want you to think about that. It's not only your body, but also, think about it, who you are, your memories, your personality, the traits you have, the gifts you have, your passions, your interests, your preferences. All those we'll still go into making up who you are, who you are. I, I can't imagine getting to heaven and walking up to some of you, and maybe we've had some counseling together, or, or maybe you've shared something in a form of request, and me say, well, well, uh, what's it like to walk around here and not worry about everything? Oh, it's just great. I haven't worried. I can't even, I can't even think about something to worry. I, I have nothing to worry about. I mean, there's all these things that will be removed, but who we are will. So basically, our bodies will be transformed. Here's another question. Will we know each other? Yes. Yes. The disciples recognized Jesus after his resurrection. Moses and Elijah there at the Mount of Transfiguration needed no introductions. The the, the disciples knew who they were. David, when his son died, he said this in his grief. That while his son could not come to him, he would go to his son. Will we be reunited with loved ones? Yes and no. Yes, if they've come to Jesus on his terms. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 writes about the reunion with those who have died. We will be known as we are. And they will be known as they are, except we'll be a better version of who we are. How many of you are looking forward to being a better version of who you are? That comes with this. Deep and satisfying human relationships are among God's greatest gifts. John, Jonathan Edwards wrote this. Every Christian friend that goes before us from this world is a ransomed spirit waiting to welcome us in heaven. There will be the infant that we lost below to be found above. There are the Christian father and mother, husband and wife, child and friend, with whom we shall renew our fellowship, which was interrupted by death, but no more. But no more. Will there be marriage? Yes and no. The the whole relationship that Jesus has right now is with his bride, the church. So, yes, there is a marriage, Jesus and the bride, which is the church. There's that symbolism that will be there. However, those special to us on earth will be even more special to us in heaven. Tina talks about all the time how she hopes that we can have a mansion together and live forever and ever and ever together. And then there's some days she's like, never mind. <laughs> but I want you to think about this. We're talking about a place where no one's going to be left out. No more abandonment. Boy, that's, that scars you, doesn't it? Abandonment. No more untrustworthy parents. The relations, the most special relationships you have here on earth will not compare with what's going to happen there. Won't compare. How about this? Will there be different races? Yes. Our race is part of who we are. And all races will be present around the throne. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. It says, And they sang a new song. Now, the new song is a song of redemption. That has to apply to us as human beings. It says, You are worthy to take the scroll, open its, its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The difference is, sin will be removed. No more racism. Can you imagine living where the different nations of the world gather, the different races of the world gather, and no racism? No hatred for someone's skin color to be removed. I think sometimes the way some people live in their perspective is they think them and their their race is the only one going to be in heaven. I mean the hatred that's out there. Can you imagine that being removed? Will there be animals in heaven? Yes, Isaiah 11:6: "The wolf shall dwell with the lamb." The question is, I get this all the time. Will there be pets in heaven? Let me just say this: If you have a cat, no. I've gained a lot of friends and made a lot of enemies. I just don't see cats being there. But um, <laughs> No, let me say this. I, I, I got real close to two dogs. Okay, one was Frosty and the other one was Bogart. Frosty, when I was a kid, Bogart, when we were adults, we had a, this dog and I had to have Bogart put down and The person that helped me with it was in the room, and I was kind of embarrassed because my wife said, Do not leave him until he passes. And I had to sit there and hold him, and I felt the life leaving. And I'll be honest with you. I didn't know I would have the reaction. I did. He's one of the few men to ever see me cry. And it was unreal. I wasn't prepared for that. I had a pony when I was a kid named Johnny Cash. I named him. I'd love to see them once again. But let me tell you this. and This may be sad for, for you, including myself. Animals don't have souls. Jesus didn't die for animals. Will there be animals there? Yeah. Would, would I like to see some pets there? Yeah. But I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. It'd be pretty cool though. The bottom line is this. Heaven will not negate what defined us as a person in this life. Our relationship will be far greater than any of the closest relationships we have in this life. And so the question is this, who will be in heaven? Those They are those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Those who are followers of Jesus. And here's the application. Are you assured that heaven will be your home? That's really the only statement that needs to be made after everything we talked about. Is this a future reality for you? Would your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Father, we just come to you now, and we just, we just thank you so much for your word. We, we thank you for the glimpses of our future. We thank you for the glimpses of the future reality that you prepare for us, whether we're talking about mansions, a new body, whatever it may be. but Father, we thank you that you love us enough to take us from this sin-sick world to a world that we can't even comprehend. And the ones who have seen it can't put it in the words. We thank you for that future reality. And Father, I pray if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as a Lord and Savior, they're not assured that heaven will be their eternal home. Father, that they will find a pastor before they leave here today, that we can introduce them to the one that can make heaven a reality for them. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you desire and the fact that you desire to spend eternity with us. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name, amen.